I'd ask you to turn now in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians and chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians and chapter 3. We'll be reading the first five verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and into the patient waiting for Christ. May God be pleased to add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. When it comes to the subject of prayer, there are probably not many in this room that would have difficulty calling to mind a number of passages that give us uh, instruction and help that we might know how to pray and what to pray for. Perhaps one of the clearest passages that we could call to mind would be Luke 11, where the disciples come to Jesus and ask an amazing question. They come and they ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. These men were Jews. They've been raised from infancy in the synagogue. They've been praying all their lives. But what they saw in Jesus and the way he prayed was not like they prayed. And so they say, Lord, teach us to pray. I think what they're saying is teach us to pray like you pray, because that's very different from what we are used to. Here, the Lord gives what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. In that prayer, we're given numerous explicit commands. Pray for this, pray for that, pray for this. But in addition to those explicit commands, the scriptures also provide us with a plethora of examples of prayer. We have the prayers of Abraham and Moses and David. We have the prayers of the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, as we have read tonight. So each of these men, Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah, all of them, And then we have the prayers of Jesus himself in the New Testament, particularly in John 17 in his high priestly prayer, as well as the Lord's Prayer. And then we have a host of prayers offered by the apostles, particularly the apostle Paul. My friends, the fact is God has recorded in his word all of these examples, all of these commands, so that you and I will know 
how to come before the throne of grace. When we come and present our prayers, he wants us to know, as the shorter catechism tells us, that we come in prayer, offering up the desires of our heart for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, with confession of our sin and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. God has given us these things so that we might know how to pray for things agreeable to his will, for things that honor him and please him. Now, with that information, it is quite common for us to hear of prayers being offered by believers for daily bread, for God's provision of some physical need, for forgiveness for our sins or healing of our sicknesses or safety in travel or wisdom in the decisions that we have to make. And brethren, all of those things are legitimate prayers. And we have injunctions, we have instruction in the word of God on those issues to pray for those things. But what I want to talk to you tonight about in this message is to look at something that is not quite so common. And that is how you pray for your minister and other ministers of the gospel and for their ministry, for the word and for its effectiveness and how it is used and to build up the church and for the spiritual fruit that it might bring about into their lives, both here in this congregation and indeed throughout the world. We're thinking right now about that presbytery meeting and this man being installed in a new congregation tomorrow. And we need to be praying, but what do we pray? How do we pray? How do you pray for your own minister? How do you pray for ministers of the church worldwide? And how is God pleased with what we say? Well, in Paul's letters to the Thessalonian congregation, he speaks repeatedly about prayer. In our text that we read this evening, 2 Thessalonians 3, in those first five verses, Paul addresses directly this issue of praying for him and other ministers of the gospel, praying for God's blessing upon their labors, upon their ministry, particularly upon the preaching of the word. And my desire is relatively simple tonight. That as we look at these words, I want you to see and to understand more fully the necessity and the significance, the importance of praying for your ministers and for their ministry. Three things that I think Paul highlights for us here. The first is a call for you to pray for ministers of the gospel. That's interesting because several times in these two letters, 
the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that he and his fellow laborers are faithfully praying for the saints in Thessalonica. But when he comes to chapter 3 in the second epistle, at the close of this chapter, he appeals to them in very simple language and very clear language that they would be faithful to pray for him. It's not just about your minister and how he prays for you. It's about how you pray for him and for other ministers. And Paul is saying in, in these, these verses, finally, he says, brethren, pray for us. Pray for, for me, the Apostle Paul. Pray for my co-laborers, for ministers of the gospel throughout the kingdom of God. It's worth noting that when Paul asked for prayer, he is not asking for some personal need. That I'm, I'm facing this situation, and I ask that you pray about it. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not what Paul is dealing with here. When he says, pray for us. He's not asking for financial gain. His sole concern is this. And let this sink in. His sole concern is for the advance of the gospel in this world. Pray for us. He's looking to see the word of God advance. And there are two particular areas. Both of them are, are presented as purpose clauses. In other words, it's marked in our English translation by the word that. When Paul says, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. That we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Two purposes that he has specifically in view as he considers these things. First, in order that the word may run and be glorified. The language here is quite vivid because what Paul is describing is the word would move, that it would run as it were, that it would move quickly and without hindrance, that it would, would move forward and have great impact. So he's, he's asking for prayer that the word of the Lord would run swiftly. It's not just that it would run quickly or that it would spread throughout the world, but rather that it would move freely and have tremendous impact upon those who hear it. It's very interesting the way that the psalmist speaks in Psalm 147. In Psalm 147, in verse 15, he describes God as sending out his command to the earth. And his word runs very swiftly. I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't 
envision this, this language and the imagery here of running swiftly, moving very swiftly, and not think of Eric Little, a Scottish missionary who ended up dying in China in the end of World War II. But remember, for those of you who may have ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, and you, you hear Eric say, God made me for a purpose, and he made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, my friends, when we see the word of God running swiftly, when we see it moving ahead and spreading throughout the world, when we see the effect and fruitfulness of that good seed falling on good soil, and we feel God's pleasure because that's what God wants us to pray for. Pray that the word of God may run, but then, Paul adds this, that it may be glorified. Now stop and think about that for a minute. How does the word, we're praying for Paul and other ministers of the gospel that the word would run swiftly and be glorified. What is he describing? How is the word glorified. I think in part, the word is glorified when it points men to the glorious God. When we see God as he is described in the word. When, when we see men receive the word with meekness. And when we see them joyfully and savingly embracing the truths of the gospel. Just as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And my friends, when people embrace that, when they see that, when they turn and repent, as we read about in Revelation 2, and they run to Jesus Christ, and they believe on him, have you done that? When you do that, the word is being glorified. And it's pointing you to the glory of God himself. I think that this is clearly Paul's intention here. Because notice how he describes it. He says, pray that the word will run swiftly and be glorified just as it was with you. Do you remember what happened when Paul went to Thessalonica? and preach the gospel? Do you remember how they responded if you look back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6? He says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word with much affliction, with joy in the Holy Spirit. It wasn't easy, 
there was a lot of affliction tied to their receiving the gospel. But they welcomed it. They received it. And they began to see the fruit of it. Look at verse 9. They themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. When you see that kind of fruit from the ministry of the word, my friends, God is being glorified. He is producing that. How you turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. That is clear evidence that God is working. So Paul says, pray for us, pray for the preaching of the word, that it would go forward, that it would bring forth that kind of fruit in every place. But there's a second area that Paul is concerned about here. Not only does he say, pray that the word will run swiftly and be glorified, but he says, pray that we may be delivered from wicked." And unbelieving men. There's an intimate connection here between these two requests because, in order for the first to happen, in order for the word to prosper, to go forward, to move quickly and spread, men of the word must be kept from hindrances, they must be guarded and protected. And from all those that would hinder their work, especially wicked men. Now, what's interesting here is that Paul uses a, a different kind of verb when he comes to this second request. The first is present. It's ongoing. It's carrying on. Pray that the word of God will be going forth with power and great glory. But then he says that we be delivered from wicked men. And he uses a verb that describes a point in time. In other words, what that means is what Paul is asking for prayer is not just some general concept or, or hypothetical situation. Well, if we ever encounter it, no, it's happening. It's real. It's a problem right now. And we don't have time to turn to it, but if you look at Acts chapter 18, verses 5 and 6 and 11 and 12, you see exactly what was happening in Corinth. And it is likely that which Paul is describing here. We are facing, we are dealing with the opposition of wicked men, unbelieving men. The reason that this problem arises is because not all men have faith, which is what Paul mentions here. Because wicked men, for not all, have faith. Because they do not believe, they oppose and they hinder those who seek to proclaim the word. Now listen, my friends, this is one thing for us to understand this is what Paul was facing. But you realize you and I live in a world right now, today, 
in which this opposition to the preaching of the gospel is becoming more and more common and more and more hostile. My friends, when I was a, a, a boy, when I was a preteen, I, I never was conscious of this. I, I had no idea that anybody opposed the Bible or Christianity. And if they did oppose it, they certainly didn't talk much about it. But now, now they will get right in your face. They will curse you because they don't believe it. And they oppose it. And they will hinder every effort of godly people to spread that gospel. We, therefore, need to be praying for our ministers, for all those who are laboring in word and spirit. We need to be praying that the word of God would go forth with power. We need to pray that God will protect and place a hedge of protection around his servants and his people and keep them from the attacks of the evil one. Well, secondly, we have a call for you to believe your prayers will be answered. Appreciated our brother's prayer a little while ago, asking that God would help us to believe the things that we hear. Paul is talking about that here. There's this sharp contrast now between verse 2 and verse 3. In verse 2, Paul talks about the wicked who do not have faith. But in verse 3, he draws our attention to the Lord who is faithful. So in contrast to those who are faithless, we are to focus now upon the Lord who is faithful. My friends, one of the chief ways in which he is faithful is in answering our prayers. When you pray for the minister, when you pray for the ministry, when you pray for the word to go forward in power, when you pray for spiritual fruit in your own life and in the life of your fellow believers in this congregation and in other congregations, you have every reason to believe that the Lord is faithful and he will answer those prayers. Now, notice, because the Lord is faithful, we not only look to him, we not only call upon him in prayer. We not only ask him to establish the work of the gospel and to guard his people from the wicked one. But my friends, we are to look to him and we are to call upon him with believing prayer, with faith, with expectation, with solid confidence. You remember that? That call to worship. Let us come boldly. Let us come unashamedly. Let us come with confidence to the throne of grace. 
because we're going to find help and grace to help in time of need. We come believing, trusting. What does John tell us? That when we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. We can believe and we can expect that he is going to answer those prayers. What does Paul say here in verse 4? We have confidence in the Lord that you do and will do what we command you. Why? Because the Lord is faithful. And when we pray, we can trust him. We can expect him to work. Brethren, Paul is not introducing some, some new revelation here to the saints in Thessalonica. He's calling them back to the simple, basic principle of biblical believing prayer. Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask, believing, you will receive. My friends, pray for your minister. Pray for the ministry. Pray for the word to go forward. But don't pray in unbelief. Don't pray wondering, what, I wonder if it's worth it. Is, does it make any difference? Pray believing the Lord is faithful. And because he is faithful, we can trust him to work. Now, do you see the connection here? When Paul's ask us to pray for the word of God to run, for ministers to be delivered from wicked men and fellow believers' lives to be changed. You have every reason to believe that God will hear and God will answer those prayers because the Lord is faithful. He will guard. He will establish. He will keep his people from the wicked one. And he will answer the prayers that are offered in agreement to his will. Now there is a, a fundamental and glorious striking lesson here. And I hope you see it because it's something that we're so prone to lose, to, to lose our perspective. And the lesson is this. Brothers and sisters, young people, listen. We, through our prayers, have a far greater role in our own spiritual progress and in the spiritual progress of God's word and, and the fruit in other people's lives and blessings upon other churches we have a far greater role to play through our prayers than most of us ever realize. I, 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 one of the passages that I considered about talking about tonight is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, you helping us by your prayers. Do you realize, my friends, that when the word is preached, you can help the servants of God in that. 
by your prayers in this congregation, in other congregations, in missions work, across the globe, pray. Pray for the ministers of the gospel. Pray for the word to bring forth fruit to the glory of God. You have a tremendous impact upon all of that by your prayers. Well, one final point, briefly. A call for you to pray for yourselves and for this congregation and for other congregations. Now, Paul's spoken about praying for the minister He's spoken about believing God because he is faithful. Now he speaks about two more things to pray for. So we know we're supposed to pray for the minister. We know we're supposed to pray for the word and the prophet of that word as it's preached. But if you were to take a moment and think of two more things, what do you think they would be? I, I think this is amazing. What Paul says here. Two more things that he wants us to pray for. And we see it in verse 5. What does he say? Now may the Lord direct your hearts. Into the love of God. And into the patience of Christ. Paul is saying. I pray. You should pray brethren. That God would direct your heart and the hearts of your fellow believers and the hearts of believers in other churches around the world into the love of God. Would that be something that you would list as two more things? Here they are. These are the most important things for you to pray for. That God would direct our hearts into the love of God. These, listen. The church of Thessalonica was above average. They were better than most. But Paul says, I'm praying. I'm praying that God will direct your hearts into the love of God. Do you realize, my friends, that even the hearts of believers are prone to wander? Are prone to leave the God we profess that we love. You remember how Jesus answers the lawyer in Matthew when he says, what's the greatest commandment? The first and greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your soul. My friends, there is nothing more important than that. Pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for your families. Pray for your brothers and sisters in the Lord that God would direct their hearts into the love of God. Jude gives us one chapter. And at the close of that chapter, what does he say? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Striking words, are they not? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Pray. Pray that God would direct your heart to the love of God. We're all in danger 
like the church in Revelation that left their first love. We need to keep constantly before the throne of grace for ourselves and for others that God would direct our hearts in the love of God. Secondly, may the Lord direct your heart into the patience of Christ. Again, that's kind of amazing to think about that being so critical here for Paul to say, I want you to pray that God would direct your hearts into the patience of Christ. Edward Griffin had a, a whole sermon on the patience of Christ, and it's well worth your reading. But here, I think for us to realize what Paul has in mind is how Christ was patient, particularly in trial and in suffering. He suffered in our place to give us an example that we might follow him in that. He was patient. He patiently endured. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3 says, Consider him, consider Christ, who endured such hostility of sinners against himself, lest you become weary and faint. My friends, you need patience. And you need to pray for that. That God would direct your hearts into the love of God and the patience of Christ. That we be like our Savior in that regard. While we have much to gain from these few words here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. There's a call to pray for the minister and for the ministry of the gospel. A call to believe that your prayers will be answered by our faithful God. And a call to pray for yourselves, for this congregation, and for other congregations throughout the world. That God will be glorified. Let's pray together. Our blessed God, we rejoice tonight at the infinite grace and mercy that you have revealed towards us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, that you have loved us with an everlasting love, and therefore with cords of loving kindness you have drawn us to yourself. O Lord, continue that good work which you have begun. Bring it to perfection for the glory of Christ, and in the day of Jesus Christ may he receive all the glory. Lord, help us. We are weak. We are frail creatures of dust. And there are so many other things in this world vying for our attention. But we ask that you would be gracious to us. That you would stir up in us a holy desire to pray, to come boldly and confidently before the throne of grace. And present our request to make known them to you. And our God, we pray that you would give us believing, confident faith to trust you, expect you to work for the glory of Christ. Lord, would you bless this congregation? Would you bless the Presbytery meeting? 
Would you bless the new man and his ministry there? And may you cause the word of God to go forth with great power and impact the lives of many to the glory of Christ. We thank you for your all-sufficient grace. And we pray that you would continue to be with us even this night to mold our thoughts, our affections, our, our every action, that it might be pleasing in your sight. We ask these things in the name of Christ our King and Savior. Amen.